We're going to read today from uh, Isaiah 58 and then from Matthew 6, both passages about fasting. Um, Isaiah 58, I'll read the first nine and a half verses and then just three verses in Matthew 6. Hear the word of God. Shout it aloud, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out, they seem eager to know my ways, as if, a nation, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near to them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the days of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fasting I have chosen, only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fast I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor, the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You'll cry for help and he will say, here am I. And then from Isaiah chapter 6, Jesus teaching on fasting in the Sermon on the Mount, Isaiah 6, starting at 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show they are fasting, show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. So today we are talking about fasting and slowing. I found fasting an incredibly strange word for this Lenten practice of giving something up and having less of it because if you are fasting, it's really just simply a good idea to slow down because you'll have less energy, and it's also meant to slow you down and let you sit in the presence of God. So I want to give you some, um, kind of put together what we've been doing so far this year. We started with a series on beautiful, messy relationships, and it struck me that I don't think I connected that with the series we're doing now because they are indeed connected um, quite intimately in my mind. The, re the repeated line in beautiful, messy relationships was that our relationship with Jesus affects and changes all of our other relationships, which assumes, I think, but I want to say it out loud anyways, that in order to work on all of our relationships with anyone and everything in the world, we need to create some space for God. We need to actually work on our relationship with God. Right? It's, it's one of those strange realities of following Jesus is that if I want to improve my relationship, for example, with my child, 
I need to get closer to Jesus. If I want my, my marriage relationship to become closer, I gotta get closer to Jesus. If I want my relationship with my neighbor to improve, I don't start by trying to improve my relationship with my neighbor. I improve my relationship with God because he is the one, with Jesus, because he is the one, with the Holy Spirit, because he's the one who's going to work through us to change those other relationships as well. And so as we are creating space for God, as we're looking at the spiritual disciplines in this Lenten season, we are doing things that will help us deepen our understanding of who God is in our lives, and we're looking at them in terms of, well, how will that then reshape and rekindle relationships I have with other people. We did silence and solitude last week, and today we're looking at fasting and slowing. Now, as we look at these things, I know that we began Lent, um, particularly on our um, Ash Wednesday service, by talking about whether or not we'd be giving something up for Lent, which is a, a tradition in, in many church communities, or would we, we be adding a discipline? And as I was thinking about the two services well, I planned both of them. You're experiencing the second one right now. As I thought about these first two disciplines, I thought both of them are both adding a discipline that gives something up. And so this cool distinction of either give something up or add something doesn't really work. As you drop a rock, you need to fill it up with water. As you add a spiritual discipline, you're likely to give something up um, along the way to make space and time um, for God in your life. So fasting... Fasting is as common and prayer, as prayer and as giving to Jesus. I read that this morning and thought I probably should have corrected it and put to Jesus, comma. Fasting is as common as prayer and giving. So when Jesus writes in Matthew um, 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, and he starts to talk about fasting, he says, when you fast, that's his entire explanation of fasting. So if you've never fasted, and I know it's not a particularly common um, discipline in our, our community, when you fast, you probably need to know how fasting works. So if I say to you, when you drive home, I hardly need to explain anything more about that, right? You know how to drive home. You do it every time. You got that. Jesus sees fasting as common in the Christian life as driving home or as praying or as giving. Right? So there's an assumption there, and I just want to put that out there because we're going to think about fasting, and at the end I'm going to give you some concrete steps you might want to take in terms of trying out fasting. But let's begin by understanding that this was a very assumed part of Jesus' understanding of following the Father in heaven. So it's also part of our Lenten awareness. This passage starts with these words. This is Isaiah uh, 58, shouted aloud, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their rebellion and to their descendants and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. Lent is that season where we pause and sit in an awareness of what's broken in our lives, what's sinful, um, both in our lives, in our community, in our family, and in our world. And so as much as we wish we are always coming to worship, and Ruthann mentioned this in in light of some of the songs we've already sung, as much as we wish we always came to worship just to celebrate all that is good and beautiful that God is doing for us, we wish it didn't snow in the middle of March. We still need to pause and sit there, right? Because if you think about spiritual disciplines like fasting, from a merely personal fulfillment point of view, you're thinking, why would I do that? Why would I not eat? Like, we live in a culture where the reason you eat is because, well, 
If I don't eat, I might, I might get grumpy, so why would I bother doing that? I should eat so that I stay exactly the way I should. We emphasize making sure we have all the nutrition we need in a culture where we have all the nutrition that we need so that we can stay strong and healthy and, and fully active and fully engaged. And God in fasting is saying, and in Lent, is saying to us, sometimes you just got to stop and sit in that which is broken. So let's not pretend this is going to be a really exciting thing, but let's understand how incredibly important it is to pause and be aware of where we are really at in our lives. I know that many of us like to hear sermons that make us deeply aware of what's broken in our lives and in our world. I want to push you one step farther on that. If you want to hear sermons along those lines, you should probably also lean into finding a place where you can be honest about those things in your life, right? It's not enough just to do the religious ritual part of it. This piece, right, this is meant to drive us to that place where whether we're fasting or in silence or in solitude or in deep discussion with somebody important and and trusted in our lives that we say, this is where I'm still working. This is what I'm still working on. I recently um, hired a coach and um, I hate hiring coaches because coaches make you work hard, right? Think sports if you don't think of professional coaches. Your coach's job is to make you keep doing that same drill over and over again until it becomes second nature so you can do it just like that. A professional coach does the same thing. He says, Eric, you've got to keep looking at this and keep looking at this until you see that kind of growth going on in your life. That's the Lenten season. As I said last week, I did go on a silent retreat um, I accomplished very little. That was a high goal of mine. I did accomplish something because my mind doesn't sh- shut off when I'm silent. But what really struck me was that the more often I do silent retreats, the more naturally that conversation with God starts, right? And you'll see that if you try fasting too. I'm going to suggest don't just try it once. Try and make this a pattern for a while in your life because most of these disciplines that we need in our life don't happen just because we did them once and say, hey, I had that experience. It's like, I traveled to Jamaica. I've been to Jamaica. That's great. No, it's how do you make this a rhythm in your life? How do we figure out which ways of breathing in and out in this world help us stay in touch and in relationship um, with our God? So my question is, what's the sin here in this verse? Because it just said in verse 1, right, these are my people and let's declare their sins. So this is what it says next. What's the sin here? For day after day they seek me out. Seems like a good thing. They seem eager to know my ways. Seems like a good thing. They ask me for just decisions. Seems like a good thing. And seem eager for God to come near them. What's the sin that he was talking about in verse 1 that he's trying to express in verse 2? If you're paying really close attention, you see the dot, dot, dot there. Maybe it comes in there. It sort of does. Because what's going on here is the people seem eager, right? And this is, this is hard for us to hear as people who are sitting in church or watching worship on a Sunday morning because it's talking directly to us. You look like you want to follow Jesus because you showed up here, right? And then he's going to challenge us. He goes, if you really want to do that, it might be a little more vulnerable. It might be a little more stepping out than we're really looking for. Most of us, let's be honest, right? Most of us like the appearance of being a good Christian person, but when we look at everything God calls us to, sometimes that's 
what's going to get us right into real confession where we go, God, I want to follow you and I want life to be good. But yeah, if that means reaching out that far and sacrificing that much, then that might be a little beyond. There's a danger of being a good religious person. There's a book out a long time ago, The Danger of Growing Up in a Christian Home. Must confess, I haven't read it. The title's good enough for me. The danger of growing up in a Christian home, the danger of being a good religious person is that you think that by being religious, by doing the things that we're doing that are part of our our worship, our ritual, that God kind of owes you something. Look what the people here say. See if this connects for you. Why have we fasted? Put in there, why have we worshipped? Why have we donated? Why have we sent our children to Christian school? And you have not seen it. And you've not blessed us with all kinds of the things that we expect to happen for our children, for ourselves, and for our lives. Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not noticed? You see what they're saying here is, God, I've done my part. Now you step up because you owe me, right? And probably none of us would say that directly or that bluntly. But let's pay attention to the fact that probably all of us sometimes sneak into this zone where we're going, God... I've been a pretty good person here. And I think you kind of owe me a response, right? If I worship regularly, I expect this and this to take place in my life as well, this level of peace. So Jesus' concern, I'm now jumping to Matthew chapter 6. Jesus has a concern with people keeping up appearances. He says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. And hypocrite, by the way, is just simply a technical term for actor right? Don't act like you're fasting. Don't act like something's going on. Don't put the somber look on your face. For they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. What Jesus is saying is, if your goal in your religious activity is that people see you do your religious activity, the second people see you, you're done. And I suspect what he's suggesting there, by default, is there's a whole lot more you could receive. And I think he says it in the next verse. Internal versus external. Jesus continues, when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. So most of us don't put oil on our head. So basically saying, wash your hair, put your makeup on, and and do whatever you do to look as normal as you possibly can. So that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting. But only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done unseen. You see, I retranslated that for you. Your father who sees what is done unseen will reward you. And I I retranslate that because we sometimes get this this sense from some of Jesus' teaching that we have to to hide what we're doing. And we don't want anyone to see us pray because Jesus says don't show off when you're praying. And we don't want anyone to know that we're fasting. We don't want anyone to ever see us giving. No, you actually have to on occasion let people see you do those things. That's a way of discipling, right? So as your pastor, as your leader in this context through Lent, I told you I'm going on a silent retreat. Hopefully I'm not bragging about it. What I want you to know is this is something we can do and that I do it as well. I'm going to tell you that I'm going to fast for a day this week, right? Um, I will wash my hair. Come on, the ball joke's got to work every time. I will not let you know which day it is, and if you bump into me, hopefully I'm not hangry, um, you will notice, you probably won't be able to notice that I've been fasting. So it isn't about doing it in secret. That's why I changed that word. It's about not doing it to be seen. See the difference? It's okay if someone knows that you pray. That's awesome that they know that you pray. 
But if you pray in such a way that you're always making sure everybody can see you and have a special holy face and a holy voice for your prayers so that you are a very holy prayer, you're getting your reward. It's being seen to do those things. And really what God is calling us to do is do those things, but understand that there's a far deeper unseen and internal reward. And as we look at the rest of Isaiah 58, we're going to see that that internal reward is the hard work of the soul, right? Far beyond saying, wow, I fasted. We're going to get to a place where we understand wow, God actually worked on me in that time and through that experience. Fasting's feeling and fighting. Yet on the day of your fasting, Isaiah says, you do as you please and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. He's basically saying this. So you went to worship. The rest of the week, whatever business you're in is ripping people off and your family can't get along. What good was your fast? What good was your worship? If your relationship with Jesus doesn't continually work on how you function in this world, that's acting. That's hypocrisy. That's trying to put on a good show and not allowing it, allowing it to penetrate the depths of who you are and change your soul. Do be aware. Karen mentioned it, I mentioned it, and I'll mention it again later. If you go on a fast, you will have your feelings come out. Good chance your negative feelings are going to come out. Strangely enough, that's exactly why you do this. We need to go there as a community. That's why we're doing challenging conversations, because we're, our gut reaction is, I don't want to talk about challenging things. Let's just keep the peace. Peace is a great goal. The strange thing about the gospel is you get to peace through death and then resurrection. Not always directly. Fasting is a way of I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to give something up. Right? I'm going to let that part of me die, if you will, for, for a time so that I can enter in fully into what's going on in my life, let God bring up whatever's going on inside of me and let it change the core of who I am and see if that then changes how I act in this world. Not a long fast, but a deep one. What I mean by that is, again, you don't get points for how long you're able to fast. Though Jesus did 40 days, so I'm willing to throw that challenge out there. You get points for, if there's points in the kingdom, how deep you go. How much does your fast affect the way you think and feel and function in all your other relationships? Isaiah writes, is, this not, is not this the kind of fast that I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. That's not fasting. Fasting is when you stop eating. So what he's saying is, as you do whatever spiritual discipline you engage in, let it draw you to a place where you're so aware that God is gracious to you because you take away a little bit of food and you get angry, you realize, wow, I'm weak. And maybe that makes you more compassionate for other people who are weak, perhaps because they don't have regular food all the time. And maybe that makes you aware that, why is that in this world where the earth itself, the creation, can produce all the food that we need, I've been told, but a lot of people are still hungry because we have this distribution issue. That's a justice issue. 
right? And so all these things come through recognizing if I pause and let God speak to my soul, hopefully over time that puts me deeper in connection with God, with his truth, with his justice, and his call on my life. And then these words, I write to the least of these, to me, that's a shorthand for Matthew 25, where Jesus says, whatever you do to the least of these, you did to me. So if you want to see Jesus, Jesus seems to be telling us, go hang around in those places where the least, the lost, the broken, where they're hanging around. Is it not this, to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Last, um, last Sunday, after um, leading you here, I went back to Brampton to lead a uh, funeral, a celebration of life for a fellow who um, spent time incarcerated in prison and knew, knew this passage, the Matthew version of this passage, where it also says, I saw you in prison and I visited you. His life was transformed by Jesus such that his experience of having been imprisoned, having gone on the journey that got him in prison, turned him into a person who wanted to help with every moment and every dollar and every piece of energy that he had, other people who had been there, right? Fasting is about saying, I'm going to imprison myself, if you will, in that food-free place that makes me vulnerable. And by doing so, I'm going to meet Jesus and more importantly, let him meet me and carry me so that that reshapes my soul and my compassion and my love for the people around me. As often it is, those of us who've experienced something deeply um, that profoundly shakes us because it was hard and yet God carried us are the best at ministering to others in those same kinds of circumstance. Fasting, spiritual disciplines, is willingly entering into those places so that that experience can shape how we um, minister to others. So the results of fasting, healing and hearing, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. As we practice whatever disciplines um, connect us most closely with God, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, you will begin to see that, that your internal self begins to be healed. You, you, you experience that as you lay over to God. You know what, I'm still dealing with, with, with my anger issues. I see that as soon as I take away food, I get hangry. You'll also see that as you confess that to God, he finds a way to bring you past it and through it. It sometimes takes a long time. And in our world of quick fixes and fast responses, that can be disconcerting for us. But as we enter into some of these activities, as we face again and again the same sort of things in our lives, if you look back over time, you start to see, well, God is faithful. He has begun to work on me. He's changing the way I react. I might still have residue of that. I still, might still respond um, inappropriately at times, but I seem to be growing up in Christ. My identity is growing more and more into exactly who he is, and I'm hearing from him, and I'm hearing from him. I think a big test for our spiritual disciplines, again, isn't how much time did you put in, but it's are you growing in your ability to hear from God? Are you hearing, speak, are you hearing him speak as you... Um, as you pray, as you listen, as you're in silence and solitude, as you fast, are you getting a message from God and are you leaning into that, what he's saying to you there? I had an idea, by the way, 
I'll try not to tell you that I got this idea on my silent retreat when I was supposedly not trying to accomplish anything. I accomplished this. If someone asks, if you want to, and I want to put that on you, I don't want to push on you all kinds of neat ideas that I have. I want to know, what's God speaking to you? And if God wants you <laughs> to ask me to lead a retreat, I think we can do them all together. If you do silence and solitude, fasting, service, hospitality, and end with celebration, we have one more in there. Creation, perfect. I would love to lead like a two-day weekend kind of retreat, um, leading you through a taste and experience of all those things, the point of which would only be so that God could speak to us in that time, and I'm quite sure he'd be faithful, and he would. That's the challenge. Let me know if you want to do something like that. So how does this work? What do we do with this, the practical? One, start small. Do a 24-hour partial fast, right? So Karen was talking to the kids, right? That's the kids' fast. I'm doing the adult fast here. Start small. A 24-hour partial fast means that you can drink juice, all right? Um, and 24 hours, they suggest you start after lunch on one day, skip dinner and breakfast, and then have lunch the next day. That's right. If you eat lunch early one day and late the next day, you got 24 hours. Um, that's your, your first. And again, you'll notice it suggests that we do a couple of these things in a row because though I'm going to do one this week, it makes a whole lot more sense to do one a week for a while because you need to get in that rhythm. Um, and I'll say a bit more about that in a second. And then move from the small start to a total fast. And total fast is just only drink water, right? And start with 24 hours again. And then consider, however that goes for you, consider repeating it and lengthening it. All right, so reasonably simple. Um, don't start, by the way, by having a huge meal before you fast. That's backwards. Slow down your eating before you start. And that's one tip. There's probably a whole bunch more. Um, the book that Pastor Peter mentioned, Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster, it's in my office. Borrow it. It'll give you a little outline of what to think about. So here's what to expect. So that's what you do. You stop eating, do it for about 24 hours. I expect most of you will find that this is surprisingly easy. Most of us, I don't know how to say this nicely, we have enough on us that we can probably go for a while without some food, and right? There's some spare stuff there. You know what I mean? All right, you know what I mean. Ruthann knows what I mean. Expect some hangriness. You all know what hangriness is, right? You get hungry and then you get angry. They go together. They come together so fast that we've made it one word, hangry. Expect that your emotions will come out. And as I said earlier, that actually is the point. As strange as that may be, be um, we need to go to places where we are intentionally allowing that which is rotten inside of us to come out so that we can have healing. That's actually the goal and the purpose of being the church. That's why we do Lent. That's why we do Good Friday, so that through them we can experience Easter. And then third, you'll probably experience some growth from I did it. So the first time you fast, you're going to go, wow, I made it through 24 hours. You're going to be thinking mostly about what did I feel? How's my stomach? Right? That kind of stuff. And maybe the next time you'll start to get into a little more reflection is, is yeah, you already know how it's going to go physically. So you start to think about, well, what's God been saying to me? And you start leaning into that. And if all goes well, if you do a, a regular fast for a while, you might get to that place where you start feasting, and not on food, of course, because it's a fast. Again, ironic that feasting and fasting look so similar. But the feast is really on God and on the Holy Spirit and on the Word, where you are finding this experience to be 
something which actually connects you deeply with God rather quickly that the minute you start your fast, it also puts you in this mindset of being used to, oh yeah, when I fast, God speaks to me and I'm going to hear from him. Um, I think, I won't claim too much for this, I think a little bit of that is what happens for me when I do silent retreats. I almost always now go to the same place or two, two different places. And when I'm there, that property almost automatically puts me in a place where God starts speaking to me, and, and, and there's patterns. Um, I usually do a labyrinth, which is walking really slowly in circles for no particular purpose except just to listen to God. Right? It goes against every bone in my body, by the way. Right? Because to me, I'm supposed to get from here to there. This is the only way I think you should do that. Go like this. Right? Why f- to get there would I bother walking around the organ and around the entire building, in and out of every single row, right, and then finally get up here. That makes no sense. Unless the point isn't get there, it's go on the journey and let God speak to you while you're going there, right? Every spiritual discipline, again, is about getting us out of our usual modes into a place where as we do a whole lot less, God can speak a whole lot more. Let's pray. So Jesus, you said when we fast, and you connected with Isaiah, who showed what you kind of expect to happen when we fast. And so we pray, would you put it on our hearts if I, each of us saying, I am called to fast. And Lord, in whatever spiritual disciplines we engage as we step out in faith, we pray that you would give us the energy, the focus, the gift of your spirit to make it through that discipline, to stick with it, but also that you would meet us there, that you'd make us brave to face whatever it is that you have us face, but also that you would give us people, places, circumstances, opportunities to share, to open up, and to receive that healing gift from you. Lord, as we go on this journey, our goal is to know you more fully, more deeply, and we pray that you would take us by the hand and lead us to yourself. We come to you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.